Welcome to episode 326 of Live Happy Now. Singer-songwriter Mary Gaucher has been changing the world one song at a time for the past 20 years. I'm your host, Paula Phelps, and this week, Mary joins us to talk about her new book, Saved by a Song, The Art and Healing Power of Songwriting. This book is a fascinating look at the healing power of music, both for those who create it and those who listen to it. She also talks with us about her work with Songwriting with Soldiers and Frontline Songs, and how those organizations are using music to help individuals heal from the trauma they've experienced. Let's hear what she has to say. Well, Mary, welcome to Live Happy Now. Great to be with you today. Well, it's really exciting to talk to you because, you know, you've been giving us a lot to think about for many years with your music, and now you've given us a really thoughtful book. So I wanted to find out why this was the right time for you to write this book. Oh, I don't know. I've been trying to write it for a long time, and uh, finally uh, it was born. It was a really long birth canal. Yeah. Um, <laughs> you know, I think sort of it needed an arc, and I needed to find uh, some way to structure it. And I think it's, you know, beautiful that I was able to to celebrate the Grammy nomination for my last record mm-hmm. that I wrote veterans and their families. And that gives it a beautiful uh, ending. Although I don't specifically talk about that. I do talk about working with the veterans and the the moments of uh, absolute joy that I've shared with them by bringing them and their music to to the world. So I think it ends somewhere around me playing the 90th anniversary of the Grand Old Opry with Joshua Gertz, who was a army sergeant who got injured in an improvised explosive device uh, explosion in his Humvee. And I brought him with me uh, to the Opry, and we sang the song we wrote together, and he played harmonica for the 90th anniversary of the Grand Ole Opry. I think we in there, but the record did go on to win a Grammy, and I think it's a great, you know, chunk of uh, story. It starts with me getting arrested for drunk driving, getting sober, finding songwriting, and it ends playing the 90th anniversary of the Opry. 30-something years sober. Yeah, (laughs) Yeah, it's got an arc now. Yeah. (laughs) Well, you know, and the thing that struck me, I've read a lot of artist memoirs, and for me, what stood out is that while this tells your story, and it is your story, but really the starring character of this book is the music and the power that it has. So do you think music has that power for everyone if we stop and listen? Well, I can't speak for everyone. Some people don't listen to words. So uh, if they don't listen to the words of a song, it might be harder for them to to contemplate what I'm trying to suggest in the book, which is that music and song have redemptive powers that uh, transcend entertainment. And that's my belief. That's my experience. And maybe that's not true for everybody. You know, music and song is a really large, large, large thing. We all fit under a giant umbrella and there's room for absolutely everybody from little kids making up songs in the bathtub to the biggest pop stars uh, writing songs for hundreds of millions of people to sing along to. It is a big world, music, and it includes anybody who wants to stand under the umbrella. And so I'm just trying to carve out my little section under the umbrella and describe my experience. I can't say what's true for everyone. I really don't know. But it does, it's, you know, we've talked a lot on the show about how healing music is for people. And there's, there's a lot of scientific research to back that up as well. And for you, you know, it's like songwriting is truly a calling. And that 
becomes apparent from the beginning of the book. But what surprised me, I think, is that it took so long for you to find that. Like it was there and you didn't tap into that for, you know, you were successful in the restaurant industry. And can you talk a little bit about how that discovery finally came about at, at later than what we might expect? Yeah, much later for music business. When I started writing songs in my early 30s. I, I had to get sober is what had to happen for me. And I got sober at 27, started writing songs a couple of years later in my early 30s. And I decided to really pursue this as my life work at 40 and moved to Nashville. And now I'm 59. I've been here 20 something years, 21 years. <laughs> and it's worked out for me. But yeah, it's a much later career trajectory than most people. Uh, and yeah, it's a calling, but I wouldn't have answered it if I didn't get sober. And so uh, for me, recovery came first. And then basically, music and song attached itself to purpose for me. And in recovery, those listeners who know this know that recovery is about getting attached to purpose, meaning, uh, and some kind of spiritual, mental, emotional health. So I've, I've planted my flag on music and song. I did it in a way that wasn't designed to glorify myself, but to be of service. And that's really worked out for my recovery, and it, it's worked out for my career, and it's, it's brought me a life that I stand back and I'm in awe of what I get to do every day. I love my job. I love my life. Yeah, and what really was surprising to me, to having seen you perform at this stage in your career, and then to see you write about the doubt that you had of even going on to an open mic night, and your determination was just really admirable throughout that. So what is it that kept you following that calling, even though you can feel the terror (laughs) jumping off the pages in that first open mic night? What is it that kept you following that dream? I have no idea. (laughs) Um, I will tell you that uh, if you're going to change course in midlife, I was a successful restaurateur. I had three restaurants in Boston. I was doing great for someone in their 20s. Aside from drinking myself to death, everything was going wonderful. I got sober and realized I didn't want to do that anymore, that I wasn't in love with the restaurant business anymore, and I needed to do something else. So I think desperation fueled my tenacity. I had to do something other than the restaurant. Uh, I just didn't like managing all those people. Uh, I liked the restaurant. I liked cooking. But I had 22 employees, and I don't like I don't like being a boss of a lot of people in a swirling restaurant. It just doesn't suit me very well. It stresses me out. And I wanted to try to figure out a way to have less lives that I was personally responsible for. In addition, um, music and song ran real deep inside me, and it attached itself to me in a real, real fundamental way. And I felt myself uh, pulled uh, magnetically to it. And so I had to work through stage fright. In the beginning, for me, getting in front of an audience was just terrifying. I was used to hiding in a kitchen and just having me in the gumbo, you know. Also, I wasn't good at it. I, I, nobody starts out good at it. You start out terrible. You have to learn. I mean, I didn't start out as a chef. I became a chef. And I didn't start out as a, as a, a marvelous entertainer. I, I became a troubadour that can string stories and songs together in a way that people are willing to pay to see. It took years. And so I described that experience in the book to let people know that it's normal to be scared, especially if you're changing directions in midlife. It's going to be terrifying. And the whole world's going to tell you you're nuts. 
especially <laughs> if you're leaving a successful job, a job that you've been good at. But if you follow your heart, like I did, uh, your heart, I think, is a good roadmap. But that doesn't mean you're not going to be scared. I was terrified. Absolutely. And, you know, not all songwriters are going to succeed in the way that you have. I also live in Nashville. So every other person you meet seems to be, you know, working on a deal or has a song in the works. And But does it take a song being successful for it to actually be useful for you? Does it, can you still make a difference with your music if the only person it's affecting is you by writing that? Well, here's what I say. I say we define success. Each songwriter himself, herself, themselves defines success. We can't take what the industry calls success and let that be the carrot we chase. That's been destructive uh, since the invention of the music business for artists. So just dismiss the carrot. It is utter uh, ridiculousness. And so for me, I had to define success. And for me, success was connecting with my songs with the people in front of me. And so for me, I wanted to connect. And then I, I expanded my definition to what I call a Cheryl Wheeler style career, which is the ability to go to just about any reasonably sized city in our country and draw maybe a hundred people. That's where I ended up. And I'm totally happy with my career. Every now and then some people record my songs, which is great, but that's not my goal or my intention. I don't write for a publisher or a marketplace. I write for the people that pay to come see me. Now, there's songwriters I work with. I'm doing a workshop starting tomorrow night. I'll be working with 20 adults whose definition of success is I want to write a song I'm proud of. And what a great thing to write a song you're proud of. I think success needs to be defined by each individual and not an external source and certainly not the music business. And it doesn't need to become a hit to give you that pleasure and give you that release that that you're looking for. And even if it just is something you share with your family or however that works, that still it still has a life of its own and, and a meaning to it. If you write a song you're proud of and you know you did your best and it's a song that makes you extremely happy when you play it or extremely sad because it's a sad song, but you're proud of the way that you crafted it, that's a success. That's a great way to look at it. Because as you said, that's not how the industry is terming it. Ah, the hell with the industry. <laughs> Every day, even more so. They're playing by their own rules, and I don't subscribe to their rules at all. Yeah, I'm an entrepreneur. I run my business, and my business is connecting with an audience. And that audience can be six or 800 people, or it can be, I had 12 people in Dallas at a little bookstore last week. And I read books. I read from my book. I played them some songs. We had some great conversation after the show. I uh, enjoyed it. And I didn't feel like I failed in the least. It was a really beautiful night. It's different every night. And some nights pay for other nights. Uh, I didn't make money that night, but I didn't lose my confidence because right. it was a small night. It was just whoever's in front of me. That's my job. I connect with them. That's you, And you have connected so well through the years. You've given us this wonderful catalog. And Mercy Now is a song that just keeps going so strong. And in fact, I was listening to it again this morning. I have a Mary Gaucher playlist that I was listening to this morning as I was uh, preparing for this. And, and 
you could have written that this year. And can you talk about that song a little bit and why, like what has given it the strength and the legs to just keep going and be so meaningful for so long? Well, you know, I talk about that a lot in the book. Uh, I wrote a whole chapter around the song, how I created it, why I created it, what I think it means to me, uh, which is ever changing, and how I intentionally didn't attach it to any uh, historical events in time. But I, I tried very much to make it timeless so that it could follow me through time. I think that the song is extremely personal. And I think that the deeply personal is universal. And so that's what I teach when I work with my songwriters. Don't write about things that are kind of personal. Write about things that are extremely personal. And that's where you're going to hit your listener in the heart. Because we share that. Those are the things that are universal. The deeply, deeply personal is universal. And so I was speaking of my dad and my brother. And I was speaking of how I was feeling about my religion and my country without attaching any specific events to it. And then I was singing of how I felt about life itself. And then it just expanded into this song that uh, has, seems to have a, a, pretty, a pretty wide reach. That song fits into, into so many different worlds. You know, it doesn't really have a genre attached to it. You can put your genre on it. It could be sung bluegrass. It can be sung R&B. It could be sung in a pop way like Boy George did it. Kathy Matea did it. It could be done country. You know, Bobby Bear did it. It could be done old school country. It can be done up however the genre demands. But I, uh, I, I just did it straight up. And I think that a really good song fits into any genre. You could just drop in the banjos or, or drop in the gospel chorus if you want to do it gospel. Mike Ferris did it gospel and won a Grammy with it. I think that there's an infinite number of ways it could be used if it's written well. Yeah, because it really is the message that you're giving us and, and the music just becomes, becomes the vehicle that delivers it, I guess, at that point. That's right. So, you know, in the past few years, you've been working with Songwriting with Soldiers and it's something we've talked about on this show before. We've done stories on it. But for anyone that hasn't already learned about it, can you tell us a little bit about that organization and then how you got involved with it? Yeah, Songwriting with Soldiers pairs professional songwriters with wounded veterans at retreat centers around the country. And we write songs based on the soldiers' stories. And I was invited to be a participant, and I still work with them. I'll be doing a retreat the week after next. And uh, I gathered a lot of songs over a lot of years and decided to make a record of some of them, and that record went on to uh, get a Grammy nomination. Yeah, and the name of it is Rifles and Rosary Beads, and oh my gosh, what a powerful album. And when I listen to an album like that, and it moves me so much, I wonder what did it do for you when you're working with these soldiers, you're hearing these songs, and then you're working together to to tell their story. What, What does that do for you? Well, it's my great privilege to bear witness to some of these uh, uh, incredible stories, to try to turn them into songs that resonate with civilians. Uh, It's a very emotional process, and uh, it always, always makes me cry. But that's okay. I can cry. I'm not a therapist. I'm a songwriter. (laughs) And, you know, I love love these women and men so much. Uh, You know, I'm almost 60. They're young. I feel very maternal and protective of them. I want them to be okay, and they're not okay. Our veterans are suffering and struggling, and so many of them are are carrying war trauma that they don't know how to deal with. It's really, really hard 
what so many of them have been through over the last 20-odd years of this endless war that we're finally getting out of. My heart goes out to them. They've given a lot. And how does it change them to be able to work with this and release some of these feelings and, and stories that they have not probably told anybody? Well, it's redemptive. And I talk about this a lot in the chapters that I wrote detailing my experience in the sessions co-writing uh, with our veterans. Uh, I tell the story of a couple of songs and how they were written in my experience in the session. It's transformative in so many ways, and it's a beautiful, mutual emotional journey for the songwriter and the soldier. And now you're taking that same principle and you're doing it for frontline workers with frontline yeah. songs. And that, yeah. wow, how, can you tell me how you got that started and tell us a little bit about what's going on with that? Yeah, throughout the pandemic, I've been writing with doctors and nurses on the front lines who have uh, been in COVID units and COVID ICUs, uh, working with people who stricken, uh, seriously stricken with this virus. You know, there's an organization called Frontline Songs, and they asked me to, to, to do it. We do it on Zoom. I usually work with six doctors and nurses at a time. It's very similar to songwriting soldiers. I ask them their stories one at a time, and I find the common ground and start working up a song from what they're telling us telling me. And it's been a, a really uh, incredible thing to to feel the pain of our frontline doctors and nurses. And they're in it again now. It's coming back. This surge right. is affecting them directly. They're once again seeing their units fill up with people who are struggling to breathe. This is uh, exhausting for them and taxing. And this time it's unnecessary. And so they have to deal with that. If asked, I would write with with any group that's dealing with struggle and trauma, because I think that's the right use of my gift as a songwriter. Mm -hmm. and, and will any songs or any records come out of this with the Frontline Project, do you think? I don't know. I didn't plan to make a record with the veterans' work, but after seven years of doing it, I realized the songs are too good to, mm -hmm. to sit on. They needed to be put in the world. Yeah, because I, as I learned about that, I was wondering, like, my gosh, what, what would that even sound like, you know, to have it coming out of what those experiences are of, of watching the people die, struggle, watching their families, all the things that they're going through. It just seems like that would be such a powerful tool to, to really help us explain what they've gone through so much more. Right. Right. Man. Music and song build bridges. They connect. They, they help us to understand each other. Yeah. And now we've got to talk before I let you go. I know we're coming up on our time, but talk about Sundays with Mary. We've been kind of heavy a little bit for a few minutes now, but you've got Sundays with Mary is a great way to spend Sunday. Can you talk about that? Yeah. Every Sunday in the pandemic, we've been doing two o'clock in the afternoon Central Time show, bringing guests in and hanging out with my friends. It's live on Facebook and YouTube. We're taking a little break because we're on the road again. Um, we're doing tour dates now making up a lot of the shows that were canceled. But we'll bring it back in the fall. And uh, uh, it's a great uh, global outreach. Uh, we get people that jump on the show from all over the world. It's been a really beautiful 16 months, over 100 shows. Wow. And so, you know, the, the thing about the pandemic is obviously it locked us down and it separated us in so many ways. But artists like yourself have really been able to reach out even more during this time because of things you're doing, you know, with, with Zoom, YouTube, things like that. So how has that been able to help audiences and yourself in a time when I think music was needed more than ever and, and people were really craving connection? 
Well, I mean, that's what we do as artists. We connect. And so if we can't do it in person, we'll find another way. Fortunately, the technology worked to our advantage and able, we're able to broadcast uh, from, I broadcasted from this office, you know, for 16 months and uh, we'll continue to do so. It's a great thing to, to be able to reach the whole world. We can all do it. But those of us who do do it are the ones who feel like we have something to say. I feel strongly that uh, the community that's gathered around me has been uh, uh, what got me through the pandemic. Not me, them, but them, me, because it's my purpose to do this work. And they allow me the grace of, of doing my work. And they, they listen to, to the shows and watch the um, performances. It's wonderful. It's it's been an interesting year, an interesting time. It continues to be so for us. Uh, So do you have any music, you know, beyond what you're doing with others, do you have any music coming out of that that we're going to be seeing soon? Yeah, I'm going in the studio in December. Oh, really? I got a lot of new songs this time. I'm going to make a record when we get off the road after Thanksgiving. Wonderful. Yeah. Mary, I, I so appreciate you taking time with me today. You know, the work that you've given us to listen to is just, as I said, it's so powerful, so life-changing. And being able to put it in perspective through your book has been a really wonderful experience. So as I let you go, what is it that you most hope that people get from reading your book? You know, I don't know. I think, uh, I hope they enjoy it. I hope it's a good ride. I hope they they find it compelling enough to uh, to keep turning the pages and experience some uh, some understanding of some music and songwriters and artists and art and creativity and their own power uh, inside of them uh, to also be creative. It's an inside look at the creative process is what I hope I've given people. Yeah, and it really is inspiring, and it does make you feel like, well, you know, if I have this little nugget inside of me that's saying something, maybe I should listen to it. Maybe you should. Yeah. Well, that's wonderful. Well, Mary, thank you again for being on the show. We really appreciate you and your music. Thanks for having me. It's been a, a wonderful time. Thanks for, for uh, doing all the research and, and making this fun for me. Thank you. Thank you. That was singer-songwriter Mary Gaucher talking about the healing power of music. If you'd like to learn more about Mary, buy her book, or learn more about songwriting with soldiers and frontline songs, just visit us at livehappynow.com and follow the links. That is all we have time for today. We'll meet you back here again next week for an all-new episode. And until then, this is Paula Phelps reminding you to make every day a happy one.